Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. You know how much I love history, and my guest today is Blair Hawkins, the author of Hidden in Plain Sight, the history of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the August 12th, 2017 riot. Good afternoon, Blair. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Marcello. It's my pleasure. I, I just came across your book in my radio studio less than a week ago and reached out to you. But before we start talking about the book, uh, tell us a little more about you. You know, where were you born? How long have you lived in Charlottesville? Uh, that sort of thing. Okay, well, uh, I was born here in Charlottesville in 1964, and that was the year uh, Binnaker Hill was torn down. So yes. I have no memory of Binnaker Hill, but I have plenty of memories of urban renewal. So and I attended the public schools in Charlottesville, and I graduated in 1982. Then I was in the service for a few years in the Army. Then I went back to college and finally got my meteorology degree in 1993. Wow. But during, yeah, during all that time, I was also doing a lot of construction work. Yeah, you know, I'm a brick mason. So when the time came for me to decide between academic and blue collar, I was already, you know, when I graduated from college, I was already had a three-year apprenticeship with uh, brick masonry. Uh-huh. So I kept doing that for a while, and I knew that eventually I would have to shift away from construction work back to academic. Mm-hmm. And for about the last 18 years, that's what I've been doing. I ran for city council in uh, 2000, and then for House of Delegates a couple years later. And all that writing and my blog and stuff is leading up to today. Mm-hmm. And I basically retire, and I write books and try to make a living off of that. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for that information. That's good backstory. Uh, I thought you were born in Charlottesville, but I didn't want to. Uh, uh, I wanted you to tell your story. Now, yes, on to hidden in plain sight: the history of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the August twelfth, twenty seventeen riot. For those who might not uh, be uh, familiar with uh, that date, August twelfth, twenty seventeen. I happened to be in Charlottesville at that on that day, actually uh, reporting on and attending a NAACP training session for how to deal with uh, aggressive people during a demonstration. And in the meantime, uh, things were breaking literally downtown, ending in the murder of uh, Heather Heyer by vehicle. So, yeah, I can talk about that. Uh- Actually, on the day of August 12th, I did not attend the uh, rally, but I wanted to. But I could see on the Internet that trouble was brewing. Mm-hmm. And it was just not set up. You know, you, you really can't have a peaceful uh, rally or protest if there are unpeaceful people also present. Yes. You have to have separation. Really, they should have had one rally on one day and another rally the next week mm. to separate everybody. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
So I watched that, and uh, it was pretty interesting. But I traced, traced, when I say the history of August 12th, that's the timeline that counts down to it. Uh-huh. And I started that in January 2016. That's when Mayor Mark, uh, Mike Signer and city council created new speech guidelines. And they were protested right in January 2016. And that kind of set the wheel in motion. And in May, they created the Blue Ribbon Commission. And it seemed like that was for more history, to be more inclusive, but it turned out that was not the case. And the Blue Ribbon Commission voted to keep the Lee and Jackson monument, but to change the name of the park and add historical markers. But that's not what city council wants to do. Mm. They, you know, steadfastly want to remove the statues, even though their own commission said, you know, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a couple years lead up to that actually. Yes. And if Katie uh, Couric and other people can profit from this tragedy, certainly I should be able to. And uh, hopefully, I'll continue to build up momentum. Initially, if I understand correctly, you wrote "Hidden in Plain Sight" um, as a sort of study manual for the history yeah. of Charlottesville in response to President, President Trump. Yeah. Yes, to, uh, tell us was that tongue in cheek? Are you serious or? or uh, no, I'm very serious. That's not the first time I used the national leader as a uh, rhetorical device. Mm-hmm. To, uh, I did that when I ran for city council 18 years ago. But uh, the reason I did that because President Trump said he wants to study the history of Charlottesville. I don't think he meant just the, the day of mm-hmm. August 12th or even like the few months that lead, lead up to that. Mm-hmm. I think he was talking about the overall history of Charlottesville. You know, it goes back a few decades. Yes, it set, does. That sets us up. You know, speaking of going back a bit, even before 2016, uh, tell us about the 2005 Kello case. How did that impact you, and, and did it influence your book? Yes, the Kilo case, and it most certainly did, because, you know, if I just talk about Charlottesville politics, nobody really cares. So I try to make it relevant to as many people as I can, nationwide, you know, throughout history. And uh, that's what I did. Kilo is the eminent domain the seasons sell real estate for economic development. And we've had plenty of that mm. here in Charlottesville. And across the country. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, it seems like a silly question, but 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 there are a lot of people who are not as familiar with uh, Charlottesville, especially after the national news uh, stopped talking about it. Although, to their credit, we are still getting examples of um, Charlottesville mentioned and and making a connection with other events. And I think that's a healthy thing for Charlottesville and for the nation. But what about the political environment and uh, following the riot that is the major impetus of your book? I know you want to tell the you want to tell the long story of how we where Charlottesville was and how it got to August twelfth and I want us to do that. But what happened? What political environment developed after the riot? Well, um, well leading up to the riot and uh, even after a riot, you basically have, you know, a mob of people at city council. Mm-hmm. And this actually started with the Lee statue in back in the 1920s, mm-hmm. and that uh, we adopted this at-large majority-only system. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, better known than even Charlottesville, and uh, our founding fathers talked about it. And in the 1920s, the Chamber of Commerce thought that it would be a good idea for city councils to be a democracy, mm-hmm. not a republic. So in a, in a republic, the majority of the people elect the majority of the representatives. Yes. And a minority represent a minority of the representatives. But in a democracy, the majority elects all the representatives. So you get a permanent minority class that's shut out. And in the 1920s, that was the 40% black population of Charlottesville that was shut out. Mm-hmm from uh, participation. Yes. Before that, there were blacks on city council. But after that, you had to wait until 1970 to get a black person on city council. Wow. So basically, city council adopted a segregationist system. But many cities all across the country did. Not yes. just the South, but all across the nation. Yes. And ever since then, 
the Department of Justice especially since the 1965 Voting Rights Act, mm -hmm. which made the system uh, explicitly illegal. So the DOJ has been going around to various cities since then and telling them, hey, you can't have this you know, segregationist system. But many cities still have it, and the DOJ hasn't gotten around to every city, and Charlottesville is one of those cities that still has that system, which enabled urban renewal. The, uh, the majority would vote on which neighborhoods to build up. Yes. And so it's the Republic form of government was protecting the minorities, you know, blacks before the lead statute went up, mm -hmm. but then when they changed the system, it's not just the statute system that we have, yes. which is causing the problem. You know, I know you mentioned, uh, obviously, if you were born when the year Vinegar Hill was uh, torn down, you, you only know it from history books, and for that matter, that's the case for me. I knew nothing about Vinegar Hill, I have to tell you, until I was asked to come to Charlottesville and direct a video about the Jefferson School City Center, uh, both before the renovation and, and after, you know, that in itself was a real education. But tell us, explain to those of us, I'm from New York, what on earth happened that justified or led up to the demolition of an entire community? Well, another main point of my book is that it's not just Vinegar Hill. Uh -huh. Vinegar Hill is maybe 20% of all the urban renewal in Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. And if it was only Vinegar Hill, it would not make sense that people are still so angry. But it was other projects before Vinegar Hill and after Vinegar Hill, mm -hmm. much larger projects. And uh, so that's the main point of the, the book as well. Can you give us... Can you? I'm. I'm sorry. I, I, can you give us other examples? Because again, I, I'm not as as familiar with uh, Charlottesville history as you are. Yeah. I, I love yeah. history, and I've certainly come here for the big names. You know, Monroe, um, uh, Jefferson, etc., and Montpelier, etc., Madison. Right. But um, in addition to Vinegar Hill, which again I learned yeah. about by working for the Jefferson School, right. what? What other, name a few others that were, and why and how they were sort of sacrificed to progress? Is that the excuse? Well, the progressive movement, the idea that the, the majority over the minority, that's kind of a progressive idea. But mm -hmm. uh, you've heard of Thomas Jefferson, but most people have not heard of Alexander Garrett. Yes. He was a friend and financial advisor to Thomas Jefferson. And he was at Monticello the day Thomas Jefferson passed away. Mm. So that's how we know that Jefferson died peacefully. Mm -hmm. But Alexander Garrett owned a farm south of downtown Charlottesville, which just became the Garrett Urban Renewal Zone in 1967. Mm -hmm. And that was three times bigger than Vinegar Hill. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but now today we have the Strategic Investment Area, which is 15 times bigger than Vinegar Hill. Once you start looking at the scale of these programs in different neighborhoods, you start to see that, you know, understand why people are so upset, mm -hmm. fearful that we're repeating history and history never really ended. But you know, we continue to do, to do projects, use eminent domain for non-public uses, and it's continues today, but, you know, only, it's only a few people who can see it when it actually comes on the news, and I'm one of those people, I guess. And there's other sections of town, like Preston Avenue was also a black neighborhood, and specifically had little enclaves, like people have heard of Kelly Town, people have heard of Tensley Town, which were little enclaves off of Preston, and Preston is not technically urban renewal, you say, because there's no public housing from it, but it's eminent domain for kind of a weird reason, just to get rid of these people. You build a four-lane highway for four blocks, and the only thing you accomplish was to get rid of a black neighborhood again. Now, West Main Street also was a bigger in the past than it is today, which has been a revival of construction on West Main. Mm -hmm. But in the 50s, there was zoning that caused people to move away, hotels to close. So really, it's a theme of displacing and, and cleansing out people. And what it is, is you got the majority, the at-large majority, routinely vote the 
target the minority. Because it's always the same majority, it's pretty much always the same minority. And you get this problem anywhere, everywhere it's tried, like Detroit, Philadelphia, all these big cities that are just wasteland, they're direct democracy. They're not republic. The minority doesn't have a vote in a lot of these cities that, you know, uh, we really learned a history lesson on this eminent domain, just if anyone's able to see it. You know, so then what you are saying really uh, here, and I really appreciate your instruction here, Blair, what you are saying is that while America as a nation is a republic, a democratic republic, many of our cities, large and small, are not democratic republics, but democracies, and there's a, there's a big difference, as you're describing. That started in the 1920s. Yes. Yep. Which brings us back... Right. With the rise of the Klan movement, the, the 1915 movie, Birth of a Nation, was the revival of the Klan movement, basically, after pretty much 50 years. Then then the Klan movement came up, came up and swept the nation through the 20s. And that's when a lot of these towns switched their system to a direct democracy, and some of them switched back right away. For example, Akron, Ohio. Mm. In 1920, they switched away from a Republic city council to an at-large direct democracy, but only four years later, they switched back. Why was That's that? because NAACP was opposing it, there was lawsuits opposed it, there was widespread opposition all across the country, but they still lost. The Chamber of Commerce uh, supported the new direct democracy, and it won. It won the day. The Klan supported it. And the Klan was much like Antifa today. They would go down to city council and just you know, yell and scream, and so it's easier just to adopt this new plan system that we still have than it would be to, like, resist all these people. Basically, it's a political calculation. More people supported the system that would disenfranchise the large black minorities of cities than supported the republic inclusionary uh, system of city council. Wow, Blair. I mean, I knew that you were going to tell me things I didn't know, but you are telling me things I had no idea of. Uh, the very con- yeah. exactly, Lee. Well, you know, I, I I didn't for a moment think that such an event, such a tragic event, as happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, August twelfth, twenty seventeen, popped out of nowhere. I get that. It was no way that that could have been a spontaneous, necessarily. Uh, event is a lot. History is always leading us to the next blessing or yeah. tragedy. I know that, but I'm sorry we have to take a break now. But we have so much more to talk about. Uh, okay. We we are talking to Blair Hawkins, and more intelligently, we are listening to Blair Hawkins, the author. His first book, an incredible book that I've only just started. I admit, but I love it. Hidden in plain sight: the history of Charlottesville, Virginia and the August 12th, 2017 riot, you will learn things about every city in America and the United States of America and our different systems of government. Not all cities are run the same. You've got to read this book, um, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, The History of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the August 12th, 2017 riot, written by Blair Hawkins. Stay with us. We'll be right back. There is nothing wrong with me. And he was funny before he developed dementia, and he was funny after. Denial is not the solution. Alzheimer's is not going to go away. More than five million families are dealing with Alzheimer's or related dementia, and that is more like 20 million people, because for each individual with a diagnosis, there is at least three primary caregivers who are trying to take care of them and give them the support and the love they need. Right here in Central Virginia, though, that number is close to 150,000 of our own friends and neighbors. We do all kinds of activities in the community, and we do those with the staff and the volunteers of those organizations having been trained. We pay attention to enjoying the opportunity of a community event and being out in the public. Our vision, of course, is a world without Alzheimer's. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 1-800-272-5792.
3900. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is Blair Hawkins. Blair was born in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he's a man who believes in going back to the original source of information before he writes this wonderful book. The author of Hidden in Plain Sight, the history of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the August 12, 2017 riot is my guest today, Blair Hawkins. Blair, we'll get going here. You're so fascinating. We may run out of time before we can give the the necessary information as to how to get your book, how to reach out to you. What's your website and Facebook page information, please? My website is BlairHawkins.net. Just click on the picture of the Lee statue, and that'll take you to the e-book. And there's another link to the paperback book. The ebook is only two dollars. The paperback is ten dollars. And at the top of every page of my website is a link to my Facebook page, my YouTube channel, and my blog, Blair's blog, which is a nine-year archive of stories about City Council. And that's all there. And you can click over to if you click on City Council link right there at the front page, you'll get over to this interface with City Council that I made. So I have each agenda from 2017 and 2018 on one webpage. So you can scroll up and down and find things you're looking for. It's very hard to find, figure out what's going on with City Council. So yeah, the website, you can donate to the website or you can just buy the book. Okay. Blair Hawkins.net. Okay, and that's Blair, of course, B-L-A-I-R and Hawkins, H-A-W-K-I-N-S. You keep coming back to uh, Charlottesville City Council. I, again, am at at most a part-time citizen of Charlottesville. I have a home a good deal west of uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, but I'm not there often. Uh, When I first bought the home coming down from New York, I I got to know uh, Albemarle County uh, supervisors very well, Jane Dittmar in particular, uh, Ann Malik, etc., but also city council people. Now, the city council in 2018, visually at least, is a very different-looking city council than 1920s. Do you see us moving in the correct direction for you, or you still have... Go ahead. I just have to disagree slightly. At the beginning of the 1920s, you would see a black person on Charlottesville City Council. That's right. But now to this new system, it, it about 1924, when the, about the time that the Lee statue was unveiled, uh-huh. about the same year, that's how I'd make the connection. And uh, other people, other city councils have said they want to take down the Lee statue because of the uh, Jim Crow era that it was put up. Yeah, well, yes. that's what I'm talking about directly. Yes. But even so, today is the uh, anniversary of the unveiling of the lease statue, uh, the 21st of May. Ah, in, in 1924, you say? In 1924. So, you... uh, yeah, so the system, first you think of it, oh, it's just, it'll shut out black minorities, but really it'll shut out any minority. Mm-hmm. And today, most typically, it's Latinos that are shut out from these at-large city councils. So you have neighborhoods that are, you know, basically not representative, not representative. Basically, Charlottesville, you would say, has five, if you compare it to the nation, say Charlottesville would have five presidents, and we have no senators or congressmen. So you only have five people who represent the whole city, just like a president represents the whole country or mm-hmm. a mayor represents the whole city. But see, most places, they'll, they'll have city councilors and at-large city councilors. We only have at large, but we call them the city councilors. So it takes a while to figure out that the words are all mixed up as well as the system has changed, but they try to use the the old words to describe the new system, but it it just doesn't work. And my book also has uh, some articles from old newspapers, like the the May 21st front page article is in the the book. So you can kind of go back and hopefully people will say, oh, Blair, you're mistaken. Here's here's a sentence that you missed. And that, that's what I do. I'll go back to the original source and I'll say, well, you guys missed this and this and this. You know, so then I'll have a revelation. But 
other people can do that to me as well. Yes, I got right? you. <laughs> now, That's the danger of having the source material available. Exactly. And now I, I want to talk about the, the Lee statue. Charlottesville is not the only city to have these statues, but I'd like to go back to um, uh, the fact that, and I knew this at least, you, you said one thing at least I knew, and that is these statues were a product of the 1920s and, and later, as opposed to at the end of the Civil War, you know, here they were. In, in, in fact, is it not true to say, uh, Blair, that... Uh, the statues and indeed the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan, indeed if it ever went away, happened in reaction to the South losing the Civil War and that slowly coming back trying to, what do I want to say, um, continue the pre-Civil War lifestyle as much as as possible. I, I'm kind of rambling here, but help me yeah. out, Blair. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Well, what happened in the 1920s, in the... In the 19-teens as well, the progressive movement took over the country, basically, and worldwide it went to uh, a resurgence. The purpose of the progressive movement was to kind of take things back to the Civil War, but there was something happening in between the Civil War and the progressive movement of the 1920s in many communities, not just Charlottesville, and that was the golden age of race relations. Mm-hmm. That's when and Charlottesville was majority black, Civil War up to the World War I, and, uh, but because of annexation, the, the black population began to, became less, uh, less than a majority. And the, once you put the system in place, you have bad things happen. Urban renewal happened. All kinds of bad things happened. But the people in power now, under the system that started in the 1920s, they will say that it was the previous system that did it. Mm. Or, you know, they'll say that it's because of, of the Civil War, the, the statue, that if we get rid of the statue, it'll fix our problem. No, it won't. The statue is just a symbol. Yes. It's like saying if we get rid of the Hitler monument and get rid of all the, the swastikas, then we can keep the Nazi form of government and we won't have any problems. No, that won't happen. Mm. You can get rid of all the monuments and symbols, but you still have the direct democracy which is causing this division between the majority of the population against the minority of the population. And once you set, create a direct democracy, that makes urban renewal possible, where the majority can just routinely bulldoze neighborhoods of the minority. Now look, in the 1880s, 1890s, that couldn't happen because the majority of Charlottesville was black mm. and they were organized. But, you know, times change and, uh, Mainly with annexation, people still mad about annexation because that dilutes the inner city voting strength, mm-hmm. and that's how that uh, that's how. See, it wasn't just the ally system. You also need get your majority population. The Charlottesville blacks are fifty-two percent majority, and if you get them down to just forty-nine percent, just fifty-one percent can just dominate. You know, and our forefathers wrote all about it and how horrible this is, and that's what we have in the cities. That's why the cities are so different than the counties because generally it's a different government, system mm-hmm. of government. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to throw out, I don't want to distract you because I'm loving what you're saying. Uh, in Charlottesville, there is a city manager who, at the moment, uh, Maurice Jones, is an African-American yeah. who's been on my show, as a matter of fact. So there is there is a different structure to city governments, uh, depending on the cities right. and the locations. Right. Go ahead. But Maurice Jones is a racial minority. Yes. He is not a political minority. He is part of the 51% majority of city council of the population supported by city council, which is running roughshod over the other 49% minority. Hmm. And it's still, you know, it's still going on. You know, it's like I said, the, the Vinegar Hill, then the Garrett Street, Urban Renewal, and now the Strategic Investment Area is 15 times bigger than Vinegar Hill. So a lot of people would just dismiss the concerns that people have is, oh, we don't have urban renewal. That's in the past. Vinegar Hill was in the 1960s. Yes, that one project was in the 60s, but we've had other projects, and we have projects right now. You know, we have a housing authority, which is the urban renewal agency. It has been unreformed, 
for like 60 years. So, but it's hard to tell someone, you know, a lot of times people won't agree or disagree with what you say, they'll disagree with who you are. So you'll say something simple like, you know, if you ask the question, is that your wife? They'll say, yes, that's my spouse. Or they'll say, you'll say, is that your wife? They'll say, no, that's my spouse. So they said the same thing, so they agree with you in the text, but the only difference is the yes and the no. And that depends on who you are. Like if I was Obama, and said the exact same things I'm saying, if, if Obama wrote this book, everybody would be outraged mm. at that large system. But because I'm an unknown, my neighborhood was where Friendship Court is today. And people would tell me, no, that never happened, only then it will happen. But luckily, I had memory, so I knew for sure that there was more to the story than people were saying just by saying, oh, it's only then it will. Uh, no, it's not. And here's proof. Yes, and so you've convinced me today because I was one of those people thinking it was Vinegar Hill. What's the difference right. between simple racism and complex racism? Those are your words. Can yeah. you explain that to I've us? Talked about that. Yeah, I've talked about that quite a bit. And uh, people are hearing, that goes back to August 12th, and you have the alt-right, and you hear about the, the KKK, and you hear about Black Lives Matter. These groups divide the world into two different groups of people. You have white and non-white for the KKK, and for Black Lives Matter, you'll have to divide the world into black and non-black. Mm. That's only two groups. That's a double standard. But the system we have today, there's more than two standards. You, you, know, you divide the world into black and white and Hispanic and Indian and male, female, and old and poor. The next thing you know, you've got, like, for the, the tax code, for example, has seven different brackets. That's seven standards. Seven mm. different ways to treat people when we're supposed to be treating everybody the same. Basically, the rise of the plan and the rise today of the Black Lives Matter is a response to the system we have, which has way more than two standards. We have a standard for every group you can think of. It's identity politics. Mm. When it's just two groups, that's still bad. But it's not as bad as having seven groups or dividing the Human Rights Commission divides us into 13 different groups for different treatment. That, the Human Rights Commission is far more racist or bigoted than the KKK is or the Black Lives Matter. And that's the point of that. All this rise of what we see as racism is really trying to fight against this complex bigotry that we have, identity politics. If we just have two groups, that's better than ten groups. You know, of course, the ideal is one group, but we didn't go that direction. Mm -hmm. We went the other direction, from two to a double standard to multi-standard. The idea there, we all want to get back to one standard. Everybody's treated the same, one universal standard, but on the way to get there, we have to go through the the racist, double racism, the double standard. Because now we have multiple standards, and everybody's angry about that, in my opinion. Now you, wow, uh, you mentioned certain organizations. I don't want to get too far afield, although it's not far afield according to your book. But you mentioned the checkered past of the YMCA, Madam sure. of Charlottesville. What is that? And why is the d downtown mall of the original sin? And the Elks uh, okay. Lodge. Can you jump on some uh, of that for me? Yes, sir. Uh, well, the first five chapters of my book are heavy-duty items. It's that large, that spans across decades. And it's also uh, Jefferson School, spans across more than a century. Mm. And, uh, and Urban Renewal is chapter five. That's my biggest chapter. But yes. I didn't want it to be just so overwhelming, so I wanted a little more minor things. But mm. the Elks Lodge, the point of that is that the L5 was, they were in support of that large system. And they were in support of a Jim Crow idea at that time mm -hmm. in the parties. Of course, now they've renounced that. But uh, even though you got the L5 to support this new system, you still have the black L5. Mm -hmm. you still, you're still in the golden age of race relations in the, you know, before the 1920s. So even when you had bad things happen, it wasn't that bad. And the, the idea of the most famous madam in Charlottesville is from the Garrett uh, neighborhood, uh, right off Garrett Street. And uh, back in the golden age of race relations, there's a lot of 
brothels around industrial age. So she died in 1951, and her opulent brothel became an old folks' home until 1972. Urban renewal bulldozed it, and they found a ton of money in the walls. Mm. That's what saved that. But really, for me, the only reason I'm interested in, in Madame Margarita and uh, her brothel is to prove that Vinegar Hill is not the only urban renewal, because you got these other profile news stories coming from other urban renewal projects mm. and that's one of them the downtown mall in uh, March 1974 it was only approved two people out of five people voting yes and we have the mall well that's not even direct democracy yeah. democracy is 51% you know but two out of three people abstained and two people voted yes because it was very controversial nobody wanted that mall mm. and you can look at the the vote and say, well, uh, not even a majority supported because look, you got five so-called city councilors that represent the whole city, but you can only get two of them. That's forty percent. That's you know, we would be like other cities, maybe like Lexington, or we we would probably just have traffic down, just like you know we used to. So that's the little secret. You know, you think why are all these bad things? And everybody's mad at them all. They're mad because the, the community opposed it. And the city council opposed it, but it got built anyway. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you would never think that, you know, just by coming here and looking around. If I go to other cities, I have no idea what the, you know, the, the secret dirt is on different projects. But if you talk to people, you can find out pretty quick what's going on if you just have an open mind and listen to what they're saying. Absolutely. As I'm doing with you, because... I thought I was going to have an interview or someone was going to tell me about what I already know, and I was wrong. I, 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 I want to, because we have to go soon, we've got to talk about the history of water supply. But before we do that, so we make certain everyone's reminded, give us again your website and, and Blair's magazine of lost history and that sort of information so we know where to find you on Amazon.com, etc. Yes, give us take us out on that if you could. The history of the water supply. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, well, the big thing about the water supply is uh, we had a drought in 2002. Then in 2006, the decision was made to go back to the original, to expand the original reservoir, which is Ragged Mountain Reservoir down at the end of Fontaine Street, yes. on the southwest side of Charlottesville. Now, the first reservoir went up in 1885, and that brought water to Charlottesville, and that was the golden age of racialization. There was an economic boom. Most, like 90% of the houses, or 99% of the houses that were bulldozed had indoor plumbing. So that's not really an issue. But then the next reservoir was the Lower Ragged Mountain just uh, in 1908. So we had two reservoirs, and then the third reservoir is the Sugar Hollow Reservoir. Mm -hmm. That's 1924. The fourth reservoir is Calcified Banner. And, of course, today we have the expansion of the, the first reservoir, the Ragged Mountain. But there was also a missing reservoir because we had a big drought in 1977, which in 2002, somehow nobody knew about it. I was the only person who went back and looked at the newspaper archives to see we had a big drought. Hmm. And in 1983, Buck Mountain Reservoir, the land was seized for the reservoir, they never built a reservoir. Uh. And so this is another example of eminent domain abuse. Mm. You know, you say, well, we got it for public use, yes, but you're not using it for, you're not using the land for the purpose for which you seized the land. You know what I'm saying? And so they claim now that by the Warden Authority, they're just going to keep this Buck Mountain land forever, you know, as an insurance policy for the future case we need a new reservoir, but I think it'll be too late in the future. If you need one, you got to build it before you need it. Yes. But that's, that's controversy. So really, eminent domain is kind of a concept that cuts across 
you know, all agencies, you know, any agency that can use it will try to use it. You know, for example, Baltimore tries to use eminent domain to take over the, the Baltimore Colts NFL football team mm. back in the day, back in the 70s. So the, the football team fled to Indianapolis. Yes. Now they're Indianapolis Colts. Of course, other things have, but the idea is that you can trade an eminent domain for anything. And the people go along with it, well, you just, you know, got something for free, even though other people say, well, that's illegal, but we did it anyway. So that's the idea. Eminent domain really is affecting more people than just public housing and just these black neighborhoods. For example, the Kmart. The eminent domain reached out to Kmart and caused them problems. Then the Five Spring Beach Club was a story. And eminent domain reached out and caused them problems. So it started with public housing and minorities. But really, eminent domain has spread to even the water authority. To just about everybody will threaten to use eminent domain if they can and of course the pipeline. Well, we're, we're yeah. going to have to run. This is, uh, we definitely need a part two, uh, Blair. The and, and also I think the point that Blair Hawkins is making is that it is not just Charlottesville, Virginia. It's where he was born and raised. It's where he's written his book. And that book again, Hidden in Plain Sight, The History of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the August 12th, 2017 riot but it's about cities all over America. The, all the things that Blair has been telling us about local city governments being a democracy model as opposed to, as the country is supposed to be, a democratic republic. There's a big yeah. difference. Pick up the book and you'll get some inkling and, and apply what you learn in Hidden in Plain Sight to your own local government, local city government, and county governments. Is that uh, a fair assessment, uh, yeah. Blair? Yes, the, the book is not really intended to be read from start to finish in one sitting because different chapters deal with different things, so you can skip around. You know, if something comes up about the water supply, you can skip over to Chapter 11 and take a look. At, at what's there. Yes. So it, it's, uh, themes resonate in all different cities. I have an article about the Kilo case in 2005. The yes. Kilo case. So that's an example where I did talk about a national event that's not local, but it, I connected it to local, that's for sure, as much as I could. Yes. And the reality is we are all connected. And you know, whether we like it or not, we are all a part of this. We are. There's no... There's no thinking, you know, that we are separate. And, and the fact that so many things you pointed out today try to keep us in separate categories is a disturbing piece of news that, you know, is right there in front of us. We just have to, yeah. we have to see it. Blair Hawkins. I'm going to try to connect the dots. Those are 12 chapters, so you have to have more than one or two dots in order to connect them. So yes. It's definitely a, a, a broader picture that... that connected together in, in the book. Yeah. Exactly. BlairHawkins.net, is that correct, Blair? Yes. Okay. Yes. Blair Hawkins, thank you so much. This has been, for an old history buff, an amazing lesson and uh, education. And I like the book. As you say, it's not meant to be read from cover to cover, and I've already been skipping around, but I am yes, going to get to all of it. It has, by the way, and I don't, I'm not trying to be funny or trivial, it has uh, lots of pictures. The pictures are as yes. much a proof of history that Blair is trying to tell us about as his words. Please pick up the Hidden in Plain Sight, the History of Charlottesville, Virginia, by author Blair Hawkins on Amazon. Uh, there's a Kindle yes. available, yes, uh, Blair, yes. Kindle edition? Kindle ebook. Amazon Kindle ebook is what it's the wrong name. Okay, yes, okay. Thank you so much, Blair. We will talk again, okay? Okay, thank you, Marcella. Thank you. Bye now. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? The thing. 
they had to do But something happened along the way Something happened along the way Something managed to go astray Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Dereliction of duty, honor, country. Nielsen, Nunez, Hospital, Trump, Pence. One. Now, DHS Chief Kristen Nielsen, not aware, Russia and Putin personally infested our American 2016 election to help Trump win. Two. Too big to jail banks cash in on best quarter since cashing out Main Street with Great Recession. So Congress repeals peace of Dodd-Frank, peace of mind protection hedge against Great Recession 2. 3. Volcano lava threatens Hawaii power plant. 4. Kim Jong-un's queen moves south night rooking pretender king checking him between NRA praises and scripted thoughts and prayers. 5. Friday, 18 May 2018, 10 dead, 10 wounded in Santa Fe, Texas, in 9th 2018 school shooting. Another entry in America's mass murder journal, annotated by Trump-Pence administration, right with foreign invasion, domestic terrorism, treasonous flirtations, and an anti-American caste system's inspiration for GOP deportation bus. This is Dereliction of Duty. Honor and country. The more in Trump we trust, the dimmer our exceptional majestic dreams of humane character become. The more we allow truth, decay, and failure to extract arrogant denial from reality of Manafort indictment and Flynn Gates and Papadopoulos confessed guilt, the greater our consensual collusion with Trumped fiction. The first British monarch to celebrate a sapphire jubilee commemorating 68 years on the throne, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, reigns over a UK where the overwhelming majority of police don't carry guns. By contrast, Americans endure increasing revelations about abused minors, sexually harassed women, violent discrimination against LGBTQ and non-Caucasians. And America's gun murders are nearly 30 times higher than the mother country's. Probably the greatest gift personal liberty offers is the freedom to choose wisely. Unless unbridled individual choice performs shotgun weddings between young minds, still developing full comprehensions of connecting bridge between actions and consequences, and excessive accessibility to handheld destruction. We can believe in selective manipulation of Bill of Rights amendments or stop training middle and high school students like Parkland's Nicholas Cruz with lethal weapons fully capable of mass murder. We can build on constitutional law and Statue of Liberty history or emulate corrupted morals of false prophet supremacists profiteering from our willingness to embrace false security. We either rebuild our American home of the brave on the crumbling infrastructure of corporatism's rented craven or on the solid rock of reason, civility, and unity. Either way, our choice defines us, hacked 2016 elections spawning a lawless ice or accepting our FBI as protective wall of investigated facts. While bids for grandeur bull trade away USA in global China shops, Favoring armed teacher tweets ignore truth. Santa Fe High School exemplifies gun runners' hardened targets definition. Whether blocked numbers or obscured usury, the family that steals together stays together long enough to defraud American dream, abuse national environment, and ban Statue of Liberty brand before exiting stage right into 
What profits a man if he trumps the whole world but loses his soul? To sustain no man is above the law, we must insist in this country we include presidents, members of their administration, and their erosion of our human decency through domestic violence, ice, and every form of discrimination. Whether the New York Times or the Washington Post, we are free to act on 2016 election facts or be accessories to Trump-Pence administration's violation of America's First Amendment. American patriotism should protect America from those distracting Americans from the swamp devil in the details of Carter and Kushner, 666 Fifth Avenue's art of the deal, or do we deserve Trump-Pence? In 2018, our death toll for students and teachers killed by guns outnumbers the number of American military active duty deaths. But ask yourself, what one item, if MIA, would have spared lives? Refusing an amateur president's a royal ceremony invitation from the world's fifth oldest monarchy celebrating its continued evolution in the persons of Prince Harry and feminist Duchess of Sussex Meghan Markle, illustrated with the aplomb of true greatness, England's vision including declining Pence, Trump, religious and racial discrimination stains on their stand-by-me. Free will beckons. Either we diffuse anger, hate, and fear, or eliminate excessive easy access to their primary instruments for murder. Denying gun violence is as life-threatening as denying opiate addiction, diminishing water supplies, climate change, and bullied teen suicides. America needs facts, not fears. Thank you. And join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.